Thank you, Jay. Well, good morning. Glad you all are with us. Hey, why don't you grab a Bible, if you haven't already, and let's turn to the passage that Jay just read, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. This morning we'll be looking at verses 5 through 15. We have just jumped back into the Gospel of Matthew, and we have seen Jesus begin to prepare uh, 12 disciples that he called to be his apostles uh, to send them out both for ministry and for uh, the, the, the giving of his message. We've learned some truths for training about how we too can be prepared for ministry and for service, and we pick that back up in verse 5. Again, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. Trust that you have your Bible, and uh, we will uh, pray. If you would pray with me, and we'll dive right in. Father, I pray that you would uh, show your kindness to us this morning. Open up your, uh, uh, your word to us. I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and our eyes to the beauty of what Christ is doing with his disciples. I pray that you would... Um, help uh, us to, to see that you want to do this work inside of our hearts as well. Father, there are some timely and uh, altogether accurate truths in this passage, and we want to know what it means to be a follower of your Son. So help us to delight in his word and to hear from him. Speak to our hearts, we pray, through your Spirit. And we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. Well, I want to begin with a story uh, from a woman by the name of Lori Anderson. Now, she is a professional dog trainer. Uh, she does it for a living, and she wrote into a, a magazine, and she told of, uh, of a story of her failure to train one of her very own dogs. She says, as a professional animal trainer, I was disturbed when my own dog developed a bad habit. See, every time I hung my, uh, my wash out on the clothesline, she would yank each of them down. So drastic action was called for. What I decided to do was to put a white kitchen towel uh, there on the line and then wait. And I'd wait for her to come, and then each time she would pull it off, I would scold her. She writes, after two weeks, the towel finally was untouched. Then she said, I, I hung out a rather large wash on the line, and then I, I left to do some errands. And when I came home, my, my clean clothes, well, my clean clothes were scattered all over the yard. On the line, however, was one remaining item. It was the white kitchen towel. You know, Lori's is a story highlighting, I think, what is at times the very difficult nature of training, whether that's training a dog or training up a child. But as we return to Matthew chapter 10, I think we're going to see the very difficult nature of training up disciples, training up followers of Christ. I kind of wonder if Jesus maybe felt the way that Lori did at times during his three years or so of, of training and teaching these disciples, in particular the twelve that he knew would become apostles, the foundation of the early church. He would rest uh, the future of his message and his ministry. He would, he would rest it and hang it on the shoulders of these twelve men. And as we know from the Gospels, they weren't the sharpest, they weren't the brightest, they weren't the most skilled. And yet Jesus took three years to teach them and to train them. And finally, he calls twelve and he is going to send them out on their very first mission 
all alone. And we can learn some things about our own training as disciples from it. As we return to chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, uh, we pick up the story. Jesus is selecting and he's sending out 12 men. And what he's doing is he tells them to preach to the Jewish people specifically. He is going to offer to his people the, uh, the kingdom of God. And by doing so, by sending these men out, he's training them for a yet future mission. He's training them for the Great Commission, if you will. The preaching of the gospel, as we see in Matthew 28, throughout the entire world. So last week, starting in verses 1 through 4, in verse 1, we saw a portrait of the Master in verse 1. Then we saw in verses 2 and 2 through 4, we saw his men, right? We've seen the Master. We've seen Jesus call his men. He summons 12 hand-picked disciples to be his apostles, and he delegates power to them. He gives them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And so that gets us then to verse 5. If you'll look with me in verses 5 through 6, we see the mission. We see the mission described. Let's read the Bible together. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And so he first tells them where not to go. Did you notice that? Don't go to the Gentile lands, that is the the lands where predominantly non-Jewish people live. And and don't go south from where they were in the northern region of Galilee. Don't go south into the the Samaritan regions, which were sort of half Jew, half Gentile. Don't go there. But in verse 6, rather, here is where I want you to go. There is a specific Location and people group that Jesus is sending these 12 apostles to go rather, he says, to the, the sheep of Israel. But notice specifically, not just the sheep of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. So, so why did Jesus tell the 12 not to go to the Samaritans and not to go to the Gentiles? Well, well, certainly it wasn't because he didn't love them. It wasn't because he didn't care for them. It wasn't because they didn't need to hear the message. In fact, at this sort of late time in Jesus' ministry, he had already been in Gentile towns. He has been to Samaritan towns to minister and to share the gospel with them. No, it's because at this particular point in time, Remember, the hostility that Jesus is facing from the religious leaders is ratcheting up. And he knows that as the religious leaders of uh, the Jewish people go, so too will the nation. It is a pertinent time. It is a particular time for Jesus to call into commission 12 men to go offer the kingdom of God and him as their king to the Jewish people. But notice how they are described. It's not just to Israel. But notice the imagery that Jesus uses. He likens the nation of Israel to sheep, does he not? Uh, and he says they are like sheep with, without a shepherd. The, the, the lost sheep of Israel. They need leadership. They need tending. They need care. They need to hear the message. They are lost, wandering, in need of rescue. They were vulnerable without responsible or caring leadership. But most importantly, Jesus says they were lost. They were lost in their sinful state. And the sad thing was, was that most of them didn't even realize that they were lost. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been lost before? Maybe as a child or 
as a teenager or even as an adult. Have you ever, do you know the feeling of being lost? Do you know what it's like to be in a place and to realize you don't know where you're at? You don't know where you're going. You don't know where maybe, if you're younger, you don't know where your parents are. It is a terribly frightening scenario. Um, I've been lost a few times as a child. I won't speculate or, or share that. Um, but uh, there was a time when Shelly and I were newly married and we were visiting her family in Arkansas. And my brother-in-law says, hey, you need to go hiking on this particular mountain range. And Shelly and I enjoy that. And so we did. And uh, these were rather crude trails. They were crudely marked, right? A stick here, a color there, a branch over here, right? And so we're like, man, we're really, we're real hikers today. And it was beautiful and we had a wonderful time. And we thought that we were keeping track of where we were going and of the signs, but well, you could probably guess that we really weren't. And so it was getting a little bit later in the day. We could see the sun was starting to set. And so we decided that it was time to turn back around and to find our car. Well, we had much difficulty in doing this. Uh, we would walk and we say, was that the sign? Was it this stick? Was it that color? Was it that tree? And uh, as time went on and, and the sun began to fade, um, I don't know about Shelley, but I'll speak for myself. I was getting rather uh, concerned, right? We were lost. We didn't know how to get back to our vehicle. And uh, if you know us well, we aren't like super woodsmen, right? I'm not sure I could start a fire if I needed to to keep us warm, right? We were going to die. So I thought, it's scary to be lost. But friends, we knew that we were lost. We knew we needed somebody to rescue us in a sense. But friends, the lost sheep of Israel, many of them didn't know that they were lost. And people today, many don't realize that they too, like the the sheep of Israel, are lost. They need a rescuer. And so Jesus sends the twelve out to share a message with them. We see in verses 5 and 6 that their, their mission was limited and that it was localized. It was restricted by place and by period, and it leads us to our first truth for training, and it's simply this. To be a disciple of Jesus, we learn from these verses, is to go where Jesus sends us. Jesus says, don't go there, don't go here, you need to go here, right? To be a disciple of Jesus is to go where he sends us, just as Jesus had a specific mission for the twelve at that particular point in time. Friends, Jesus has a mission for his followers today. In this time. And we see that mission clearly spelled out for us in chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles open, turn with me to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. We'll likely look at some verses that are familiar to you. At least I hope they are. Starting in verse 19. Jesus uh, gives these 12 apostles. And he gives me and you this same mission. Therefore, verse 19. Jesus says, Therefore go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, that's the future mission that Jesus was preparing the twelve for. And friends, that is our mission. See, their mission, this mission back in chapter 10, was limited in scope. Did you see that? It's limited in scope. They were to go to the Jews only. But friends, our mission that we see in chapter 28, it's not limited in scope, is it? Is it not? We are to go to all the what? I don't hear you. All the what? All the nations, all the, all the ethnos in Greek, all the people groups of the world. 
Christian, I wonder if you care about the salvation of those who are not uh, here in the United States. I wonder if we care about the salvation of various ethnic groups throughout the world. Because Jesus says that specifically is our mission. While theirs was limited not only in scope, but in size, right? they were to go to a particular field. Our mission field, quite literally, is the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. Believer, I wonder where we are willing to go and what we are willing to do to advance the cause of Jesus' mission. I recall a conversation with one of our uh, longtime former missionaries, Andy Keltner. Many of you know him. He spent... Oh, about a decade, if if my memory doesn't fail me, ministering to Muslim people in Lebanon. And I remember having a conversation with him, and he was very discouraged because there were many American Christians and Christian churches who didn't want to send their people to Lebanon because of the perceived dangers. And he was very frustrated with that. He he said, "When did when did be uh, uh, the fact that uh, the mission is dangerous change Matthew twenty eight? It doesn't change Matthew." 28. In fact, we're going to see as we move on in chapter 10 a little bit, Jesus says, I send you out like, sh- like sheep among wolves. Jesus is going to clarify next, not next week because it's Mother's Day, but the following week, um, that our, our mission, it, it's not safe. It's not safe, but it's there nonetheless. Yet, we see that there are some similarities, right? We see in Matthew 28 that we are told to what? Geo. Go, right? We're told to go. And Jesus here, he says, don't go among the Gentiles, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. And friends, just like they were going to people who are lost, guess what? Our mission is to people who are what? Lost, right? Lost people. People lost in their sins. People who don't know or who have rejected Christ as their Savior. See, um, we see in the Gospels that Jesus says, I came to seek and save those who are what? Lost, right? Friends, I wonder if our mission is like Jesus's. I wonder if we are following in the footsteps of our master, going and seeking and saving those who are lost. Well, we've seen the mission pretty clearly defined for us in verses 5 and 6. Let's now take a look at verses 7 and 8, where we see both the message that they were supposed to share and their ministry. We see the message is described for us at the beginning of verse 7. Jesus says, as you go, proclaim this message. So it was very clear. There was no ambiguity what they were supposed to say, what their message was. And and it's clear. It's this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, friends, I know it's been a while since we've been in Matthew. So let me just kind of ask you a question. Does this message, this preaching, if you will, does it sound familiar? Like maybe we've heard it before. You may recall that when John the Baptist comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 3, remember what his message was? The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then we see in in chapter 4, Jesus comes on the scene with his initial ministry and and he goes about preaching a message. Remember what that message was? The kingdom of heaven has come near. So now Jesus calls the twelve apostles and he says, this is your message. It's familiar. It's expected. The kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? It was a particular message for a particular people in a particular time. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, has come near. It is on the, it is, it is imminent. It is on the doorstep because the king has arrived. 
He says to the people of the Old Covenant, the Jewish people, I am your Messiah King. I am here. I am offering you the kingdom promised to you in the Old Testament right now. I am here. Will you receive me? All they had to do was receive and welcome their king. We know that they didn't do that. And we know that there are consequences of that. We see the the message is described in verse 7. But then in verse 8, we see the ministry is decreed. Notice what Jesus told them to do. Not only do they have a message, the kingdom of heaven has come near, but, but they have a ministry to these people, these Jews in the cities that they were sent to, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. We, we were told back in verses 2 through 4 uh, that they were to heal those who are sick and they were to drive out demons. Jesus is further clarifying what their ministry was to be. Heal those who are sick, even raise those who are dead. The leper cleanse them with his power in in his name drive out those who are demon possessed friends the fact that the supernatural ministry of the apostles comes right after the message that they were to proclaim shows us reveals to us the purpose of their ministry it was to authenticate their message do you see that here is what you are to say the king is at hand he's offering you the kingdom and if they were to go to the, the cities in, 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 in Israel, and they were to say, the kingdom of God is at hand, the king is here, you know what the Jews would say? Show me. Prove it. How do we know? Well, they would know because they were to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to cleanse those who have leprosy and to drive out demons by the power that Jesus had delegated to them. And so it leads us to a second truth for training for for me and you, and it's this. To to be a disciple of Jesus, then, it's not only to go where Jesus sends us, but it, it is to share His message and His ministry. Brothers and sisters, we too have a message, and we saw that message a bit earlier. We have a message to share, and we have a ministry to serve. A message to share... In a ministry to serve. In our message, we meet the people's deepest needs. See, everybody has needs, spiritual and physical. As we share the message, we meet their spiritual needs by sharing the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, you might have heard of him before. He was the uh, uh, the 19th century wonderful English preacher, pastor over in London. And he once said this. He said, if God calls you to be his messenger... Don't stoop down to be a king. I love that. If God calls you to be his messenger, don't stoop down to be a king. Friends, God has called me and you as well to be his messenger. And what is our message? We see it in the clearly defined for us in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, you can see it on the screen behind me. The the essence of our message is this. Paul says, this is the gospel. I'm sharing with you the gospel, and this, this is it. Quote, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. See, friends, when a person repents and they trust in this gospel message, they are assured a spot and they become a part of the present form of the kingdom of God. It is awaiting its full consummation at the return of Christ the King. The question we have to ask ourselves is, as disciples of Christ, is are we sharing his message? Are we sharing that message that Jesus died for 
people's sins and that he was raised to life. Are we sharing that message? Friends, we too have a ministry to meet people's physical needs. Just as the apostles met people's spiritual needs with with their message, they met people's physical needs with their ministry. And friends, that's how our ministry and message should be as well. I want us to begin to think about the tangible ministries that we offer, both as individuals, as Christians, and then as, as a church. I want us to think about how we are serving the community around us in Jesus' name. Are we making a difference? Do people care that we're here? Here's a way I like to think of it. Would people know or care if, or feel a void in their lives if Grace Bible Church shut its doors? If we weren't here, would people know or would people care? Because we too have a message and we too have a ministry. Well, let's take a look at the tail end of verse 5 because he's, he's, he's given them the message. He's, he's given them the ministry. He's, he's told them the mission. But at the end of verse 8 and following into verse, uh, uh, verses 10, we see the money, if you will, is described. Notice verse 8. First, we see that the apostles' reimbursement is prevented. Notice verse 8. Freely you have received, freely give. Now put it together. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then he says, freely you have received, freely give. Here Jesus tells the twelve not to charge for their message, and in particular, not to charge people for their healing ministry. Do you see that? You're going to heal the sick, and you're going to raise the dead, but don't you dare charge people to do it is what he's telling them. They are to offer it free of charge. Why? Freely you have received, right? Jesus says, I'm giving you this power freely, so you freely give it away. They didn't pay Jesus for the power that he gave to them, so they aren't to pay to be paid for the healing ministry. Notice, not only is reimbursement prevented, but but Jesus um, uh, prohibits their resources. Notice in verse 9, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. Now you may think, Jesus, that's kind of harsh. I mean, you're sending them on this this trip to share your message and to do your ministry for your mission, but they can't take... They can't take an extra shirt. I mean, they might need some extra shoes because they're going to be walking quite a ways. They can't take a backup staff. What do you mean, don't take any gold or copper in your belt? You mean I can't take my credit cards, right? That's what what Jesus is saying. It must have been probably a surprising statement to them. Don't don't take provisions for the trip along with you. Uh, I don't know how you travel when you're going on maybe summer vacation, uh, but I think of the trips that me and my family take and the resources that that we bring along with us. And so it's not all that uncommon uh, that my wife... Uh, is preparing for a trip a whole week before we go. Because it takes that long to get all the stuff that we think that we're going to need for the trip organized in the car. And so when it's time to go, the car is super loaded, right? I can't see out the back. There's things sticking out the windows. It's just full, right? Because, well, you never quite know what you're going to need, right? You need an extra this, you need an extra that, and the babies need this, and well, you're really going to need, you know, you just take everything with you. Friends, it wasn't like that here for the twelve. So here's the question that I want us to ponder. Was Jesus saying that they wouldn't need money on their trip? 
No. They would need money on their trip. Was he saying that they wouldn't need shirts on their trip? Was he saying they wouldn't need sandals on their trip? No, that's, that's, that's not what he's, what he's saying. So why then would he prohibit it? Well, it's because we see their renumeration as promised at the tail end of verse 8. Verse 9, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take it with you in your belt. Verse 10, No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for... Here's the reason. For the worker is worth his keep. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that they are not to take provision on this particular trip, though they have legitimate need, because they were like workers. And a worker is worthy of his wage. The worker is worthy of his keep. In other words, when they go about on their mission and their ministry, the people whom they serve would provide their needs. They were like workers, and they're worth their keep. Here Jesus plants the doctrinal seed for what later would become a sort of full-bloom flower in places like 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy 5, namely that those who minister spiritual things have the right to expect physical compensation in return. In other words, the people of God, the people who were receptive to their message of the king and of the kingdom of God, those people would provide them with the shirts and the belts and the money. So Jesus says, trust me. I'm going to send you out with my message for my ministry and you trust me to meet your needs. And it brings us to a third truth for training. To be a disciple of Jesus is not only to go where he sends us, it's not only to, to share his message and his ministry, but to be a disciple of Jesus is, is to not be motivated by money, but to trust in God's provision. I think we see that clearly. Friends, let me make it clear. The purpose of the church is not to be a business. The church is not to be a business. It's not about making money. Beloved, beware of Churches and Christians, so-called, and TV evangelists and radio or online ministries whose subtle or sometimes not-so-subtle aim is to get into your wallet. That's, that's not the point. We don't offer spiritual products as a church in order to gain compensation, right? However, what do we learn here? We learn that the worker is worthy of his keep. Jesus also makes it clear that the ministry does take support. It needs support. A church is to, to trust in God's provision through the people that receive benefit from that ministry. While the disciples are not motivated by money, they turn to God and they trust in Him to meet their needs. That will become pretty clear here in our final section. Notice the method. The method. Jesus says, this is how I want you to go about this particular trip. Starting in verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay in their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greetings. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you, or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. That's right. 
When Jews in this day would leave Gentile territories, say they had to travel on business and they were in Gentile territories and they were about to enter into Jewish lands again, they would do what is described in this text. They would take, they take off their sandals because there was dirty, filthy, polluted dust from Gentile pagan lands and they boom, 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 right? Shake it off their feet. It was symbolic of the spiritual pollution of that land. Uh, of course, anticipating the judgment of God on that place. They didn't want to be associated with this. And so when Jesus uses this familiar image, he says, you don't do that with, with Gentile lands, you do that with Jewish lands. And the people would know exactly what you mean when you do that. By doing so, to these unreceptive Jewish towns, the apostles signal the imminent judgment of God in that place because they have rejected their king. They have rejected the king's messengers. And by doing so, who do they reject? The king, right? He says it's more tolerable for Sodom and for Gomorrah. Remember that story? He says burning sulfur would be better than being a part of a a, a city that rejects Jesus as their king. Which leads us to a final truth for training. To be a disciple of Jesus is to bear a message of life and death, heaven and hell. Friends, don't miss this important truth from Jesus' words. One's eternal destiny, both then and now, depends upon his or her acceptance of Jesus. And that acceptance was and is evident in his or her attitude towards Jesus' missionaries and messengers. Did you catch that? One's eternal destiny, both then and now, depends upon what we do with Jesus. And that acceptance is evident. It's revealed by one's attitude towards the messenger. You see that? I remember getting some pre-evangelism training when I was at Texas A&M. Our college group periodically would just go, um, sort of go to campus and we'd share the gospel. And we'd, it was just like street evangelism. Like, hi, can I talk with you for a minute, former student, right? And we'd, we'd try to share the gospel with them. And as you can guess, sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't go well. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they flip you off, right? Just a whole myriad of, of, of responses, right? Um, and, and I remember the college pastor at the time hammering this home for those of us who are scared of being rejected. Because we're all scared of being rejected, are we not? And he would say, listen, if, if they reject you, they're not ultimately rejecting you. They're ultimately rejecting Jesus. Insofar as you share Jesus' message. Friends, we see that in this truth. To be a disciple of Jesus is to bear a message of life and death, heaven and hell. I want to share and close with an image from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So go there with me, if you will. If you're in Matthew, turn to the right in your Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? You get Acts, you get Romans, and then you get 1 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter uh, 2, verses 14 through 16. As we close with this image, Paul uses there a powerful image of the message of the gospel. It's life and death. People receive it or they reject it. And there is no in-between. 
Here's the, here's the image that is being used. Let me set it up for you so the full impact of the passage can come upon us. Paul here is making a very similar point that we bear a message of eternal life and eternal death depending upon one's response. He, he uses an illustration. So back in the day, it was Rome in power, right? So think gladiator. Everybody there? Gladiator, right? Roman Empire. Uh, Rome was in control. And so Rome would um, have a something called a Roman triumph. A Roman triumph. It was basically a victory parade, okay? It's like a victory parade. And what would happen, and in fact you can see here a picture. This is a, an actual relief from, uh, from a, a, an arch, right? A big pillar, an arch, and then they would decorate it. And, and this is a relief from an arch of, of an emperor whose name was Marcus Aurelius. Yes, like the one in Gladiator, he was real. Um, so there's his, a picture of him in this triumphant parade, if you will. So what would happen is first you would have musicians, so musicians would lead the parade, playing music and stuff, right? Then you would have the general himself, like you see in the picture. There's the, the conquering general, Roman army, followed by his army commanders, maybe some of his soldiers. And then what you would do is if you had captives, uh, 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 enemy prisoners, right, Ca- taken captive from war, they would force them to, to march in this victory parade. Because what were they doing? They were showing off the spoils of war, Right? We conquered these people, and they are sort of in this train behind them. Now, following, following those enemies, there would be um, priests, pagan priests, burning incense all over the place. And so um, you would smell from quite a distance away when this victory parade was rolling through your town. You see the image, right? There's a parade. It's loud. It's noisy. And you can, you can smell the smell of victory. Now read what Paul says about Christ in 2, 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us, speaking of Christians, to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Friends, Paul says that we spread as Christians the aroma of Christ everywhere we go, in our deeds and in our words. And People respond differently. We have a distinct smell as Christians, is what Paul is saying. He says some smell it and they trust in the gospel and it's like life to them. They're being saved, right? The, that, that, that aroma is, 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 is the aroma of life. But he says to those who reject it, what is it? The aroma of what? Of death, right? It's, it's like the stench of death. Friends, let me ask you: When you're in the victory parade, and you're you're a you're a like a um, a commander in the in, in the army, or, or that that parade goes through your town, and you smell the aroma, and it's you know that you're a part of that king, it's the smell of life, right? It smells great. But friends, what's it like when you're the captor, and you smell that smell? Is it a sweet smell to your nostrils? No. Why? Because that smell means you're about to die. You're about to die. And Paul uses this powerful image 
And he says, friends, we as disciples of Christ bear a message. It's the message of life and it's the message of death. It's heaven and it's hell. Friends, I wonder if we're bearing that message and I wonder how have you responded to that message. When you hear the aroma of the gospel, is it like life to you or is it like death? Let's pray. Father, I pray now if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, and they, they know in their heart of hearts that when they hear the sweet smell of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his, his death for their sins, his resurrection for their eternal life, and his call to become his disciples, that it smells like death. It smells like death. Oh Lord, change their nostrils so that it might smell like life that they might turn and trust in Jesus as their Savior, so that this gospel would result in life and not death, heaven and not hell. Father, help us to be disciples as Jesus teaches us, to go where you send us to go, to faithfully bear your message, to faithfully minister to those you've entrusted to us, all the while not being motivated by financial gain or anything that we could benefit, but faithfully bearing this message of life and death, we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. See you next week, guys. Thanks.